Welcome to Mammal Talk, the companion podcast for the Blood Bowl Mid-Atlantic Mauling League. In this episode, we're talking about week three of the Spike Magazine Trophy. Welcome to episode 12. This is week three in the Spike Magazine Trophy. This marks the midway point in this competition, as well as the midway point in the open season this year. There are three open competitions, one invitational. So all of the coaches are looking for wins here. A lot of coaches in this competition are still in the competition. They're still in the running to make the top four. The winner of the competition, of course, will receive an invitation to the Blood Bowl in the upper bracket. The runner-up will receive an invitation in the lower bracket. Lots of good games to talk about this week, so why don't we just get into it. Game one of the week would be Play It by Nuffle at Tainted Cocktails. Play It by Nuffle coached by Clypheus. That's a goblin team. Tainted Cocktails coached by Malik, a chaos team. All teams this week, with the exception of one team, are really looking for a win. A win will really, really help them secure their spot, or at least help them to try to secure their spot into the top four. The only exception, of course, Tracksuit Mafia, who's currently undefeated. Uh, We'll see if they can keep their undefeated record here in this week. We'll talk about their game later on. But in this game, Play It By Nuff will be in the Goblin team, would of course be down on TV. They would pick up a number of inducements in this game. Play It By Nuff would pick up the star player, Bomber Dribblesnot. That's the Bombardier. Bombardiers are tricky as bombs can be caught by your opponents and thrown right back at you. He picked up two bribes as well. Tainted Cocktails would start this game on offense. On turn one, they would block down the center defensive tackle. Their second action, however, would be to pick up the ball. That pickup would fail. They decided not to spend the TRR. I think that was a good decision. Blood Bowl, we've talked about it time and again, is a game of luck mitigation. You want to take your least risky moves first and your most risky moves later. If you have movements to take, take those movements first. Movements don't incur a die roll unless you're going to GFI. So they're free. Then you can start to take your blocks. When you are receiving, if it's a deep kick and you're not against a a team that can get at the ball in any way, then you probably want to pick up the ball last. Because even if you don't pick up the ball, you can elect to forego the re-roll and you'll still be fine. So this ended up being a lost turn for Tainted Cocktails. Play it by Nuffle would respond by blitzing a Chaos Warrior with the Looney and didn't break armor. Remember, the Looney has a chainsaw. He doesn't have to take the block roll. He just rolls for armor, and he gets a plus three on that armor break. After that, he'd take a two-die block with the troll at the line, supported by the Looney, against the Chaos Warrior, and would get a push. He'd push the Chaos Warrior back into a two-by-three group of remaining Chaos Warriors so that Nuffle's Bombardier star player could toss a ball at all four Chaos Warriors. Really smart play here by Clypheus. He would successfully knock down two of those Chaos Warriors with that play. He would then decide not to try to break down the Tainted Cocktails offense beyond this and leave the turn at that. Also a smart decision. He can keep his defense intact. He got the play he wanted. Well done by Clypheus here in turn one. 
On turn two, Tainted Cocktails would cage up at their own 12-yard line in the right wide zone. They'd start to exert field control a little bit and open up a lane down the left wide zone while still screening out the rest of the pitch. Good play by Malik. Play it by Nufflewood. Blitz with the loony and again, not break armor. He's really looking to get player advantage with this loony. Remember, the loony is a secret weapon. That means he only gets one drive on the pitch. After that, he's going to get called off by the ref unless a bribe is spent. The Bombardier would then throw another bomb, but this time it would be intercepted by one of the Mark Chaos Warriors, which is kind of a mixed blessing since the Chaos Warriors pass would need a 5-plus to succeed. The pass indeed failed, and the Chaos Warrior and the Marking Goblin would be knocked down. The Goblin would end up getting stunned. On turn three, Tainted Cocktails would cage up at mid-pitch on their own six-yard line. Malik did a really good job of not overcommitting and taking the blocks that he was given. This was a good turn for him and a, a, good, a good play by a coach with a Chaos team. Play it by Nuffle would blitz with their loony again. This time they get a stun. They then fouled with a goblin on a beastman directly ahead of the loony. And this was really clever because it set up a three-man protective line for the loony. Excellent action order by Clyphus. Remember, if that loony gets blocked, then the opponent who blocks the loony gets the three plus. Still has to make the block roll, but he gets the three plus for that chainsaw. Play it by Nuffle would then try to throw a bomb on the right side of the cage. Targeting three beastmen, including the ball carrier and a chaos warrior. The pass was a four plus. It failed. The bomb ended up on the nearby troll, who then failed the six plus catch, and it would result in a turnover. Bombardiers are really, really tricky. If you can get that throw off on a, a group of players, then great. But it's just so risky with the risk of interception and the ball, or rather the bomb getting tossed back on you, or the risk of a failed pass and the bomb getting thrown somewhere where you don't want it to be. Really risky to use a Bombardier. On turn four, Tainted Cocktails would run the cage down that corridor that they opened up on the left wide zone earlier in the drive. The ball will now be on Play It By Nuffle's six-yard line. Play It By Nuffle would fail yet another bomb toss, and that would result in a turnover for their turn four. On turn five, Tainted Cocktails would take advantage of this and advance that cage down to Play It By Nuffle's 18-yard line. Play It By Nuffle would then... Do a great job of continuing to take fouls. This is something goblins really need to not be shy about. And Clypheus recognizes this fact and understands that what he needs to do to get ahead with this team is take those fouls, use those secret weapons, use those shenanigans. On this turn, the fowler would get called off, but the ref was successfully bribed. Play by Nuffle would end their turn trying yet another loony blitz and yet again failed to break armor. Somebody did not sharpen this chainsaw before this match. On turn six, Tainted Cocktails would advance to the 24-yard line. They were going to stall for a turn. Play it by Nuffles. Looney would fail to break armor on a blitz once more. Clyphus would make an excellent foul with the Bombardier, however, recognizing that this is likely the Bombardier's last turn on the game. The Bombardier is a secret weapon. And so this would be a safe foul. Even if the Bombardier gets called off, that's fine. He's getting called off Anyway, he ended up getting an, uh, an injury out of it. Great job here again by Clypheus coaching this goblin team. On turn seven, Malik would show great resolve to not get spooked by rolling dice. He could have just scored. He decided to take the two die block that was safe on the loony, got a pal, but he couldn't break the armor because apparently this chainsaw is as dull as a butter knife. He would then end up scoring and taking the lead one to zero. But again, the reason this was so good by Malik 
is he recognized that play it by Nuffle has two bribes on deck and will most likely want to keep that loony on the pitch for as much as the game of the game as possible. So Malik took that two die block. Really good call on his part. Excellent drive by Malik. He didn't overextend. He took the blocks when he was given them and he hunted that loony when he could. He played this chaos team exactly the way he needed to. In the second drive of the game, play it by Nuffle had two turns to score. The loony would get called off. Play it by Nuffle would spend the bribe, but failed the bribe roll. That loony is now out for the rest of the game. Painted cocktails on their defensive setup would set up too narrow, and this would prove to be a costly mistake. They give up both sidelines in a three-wide corridor in the left wide zone. Play it by Nuffle would take advantage of this formation by setting up really strong on that left side of the pitch. They placed the Pogoer in the halfback position because they wanted to be able to get the ball to him no matter what. He'd have goblins to receive. They would receive the ball. They would pass it to the Pogoer. He had to spend the TRR on the pass, but the pass ended up succeeding. The Pogoer would then Pogo down to Tainted Cocktail's eight-yard line. He would have a troll and four goblins defending the Pogoer. Tainted Cocktails doesn't have the players into position to get at the Pogoers. He was set up too narrow, and now it would be too far away to really mount an effective defense against this goblin team. Remember, the Pogoer has leap and has very long legs. That means he's going to get a plus one on the leap and an MA of seven. He had to mark that Pogoer. He had to put a number of tackle zones between the end zone and the Pogoer if he wasn't able to blitz down the, the Pogoer. On the final turn of the half for Tainted Cocktails, they just had to try for the GFI blitz on the Pogoer. They failed to do so. They would get one Beastman in front of the ball carrier, but the Pogoer didn't care. He would just leap away into the end zone. It would be a 1-1 tie at the half. Play it by Nuffle would be on offense in the second half. They'd have uh, the Fanatic at center to go after the four Chaos Warriors on the defensive line. The Fanatic is a ball in chain. He'll pick a cardinal direction, and he'll just swing around randomly in that direction. The Pogoer was sent back to receive. The Pogoer is the natural ball carrier on this team. Tainted Cocktails with, was without a kicker. His kick would consequently be a very shallow kick. It would end up just behind the offensive line. On turn nine for play it by Nuffle, the Fanatic would get a KO. This would be a two-man player advantage for play it by Nuffle. The Pogoer would fail the pickup and couldn't re-roll as the team re-roll was spent on that Fanatic KO. Clyphus does an excellent job of getting players into position first so that when he failed the pickup, it was inconsequential. On turn nine, Tainted Cocktails sort of shifted their strategy here and ended up very aggressive on defense. This is a stark contrast to the measured offense that we saw in the first drive of the game. I think Tainted Cocktails would have benefited more from that measured approach uh, than just looking for an opportunity to grab the ball when Play It By Nuffle made a mistake. I think that would have been uh, a more advantageous strategy to take up here in this second half. Tainted Cocktails instead tried to apply pressure with the two Beastmen, but Play It By Nuffle just shifted laterally away from them, putting them in danger of being left out of the drive. If they got left behind that cage or left behind the ball carrier, they're effectively out of the drive. They wouldn't be able to catch up. Play It By Nuffle would cage up in the left wide zone on their own four-yard line. Clypheus did what he's good at. He started to break apart the defensive formation, forcing Tainted Cocktails to have to dodge if he'd want to reset his defense. On turn 10, Tainted Cocktails would take a blitz on a goblin that is out of the drive. But it was a good blitz considering that it was a Claws player, so I think this was a fair decision to make. 
He moved that player toward the cage, tainted cocktails, then reset to the left wide zone, but they gave up center pitch. On turn 11, play it by Nuffle would cage up at center pitch on tainted cocktails eight yard line. We talked about this a little bit on stream, but I think it bears mentioning again here. In Blood Bowl, the, the spaces on the board are squares, but diagonals are adjacent. So geometrically, you look at a square and the diagonal is longer than either edge. So if you measure out eight spaces directly ahead and you measure out eight spaces diagonally ahead, they're both the exact same number. They're both the exact same distance ahead. But in terms of game distance, that is, in terms of spaces, but in terms of actual physical distance, the diagonal is longer. You'll look at it and you will see that it's longer and people intuit that it's longer. So what will happen in a lot of games is that people will measure their defense straight ahead. They'll say, I've got him covered and there's no way he can move all that distance diagonally and they'll give up that diagonal positioning even though diagonal is still is just as straight as straight is in Blood Bowl. Remember, those diagonals are adjacent and therefore you can move diagonally uh, just as far as you could move straight ahead. Play it by Nuffle would decidedly remove those uh, those pressure beastmen from the drive by splitting them off from the defense and controlling mid-pitch, effectively putting tainted cocktail cocktails down by two players. On turn 11, tainted cocktails would end by marking the cage. This would prove ineffective. On turn 12, play it by Nuffle didn't like the look of having to dodge away to a two GFI touchdown. It might have been a little too early for their comfort to score as well, so they simply retreated the ball carrier back into the cage at the four-yard line. Both trolls are at the front of the cage, and this also allowed the Fanatic to twirl around and take a block. I think this was really smart play by Clypheus. He said, it's a little too early. I don't want to give Tainted Cocktails the ball right now. I can reset. I can retreat a couple of spaces, reset my cage, be in a better position, and try it again on next turn. Really good play here by Clypheus. On Tainted Cocktails turn 12, they would commit six players to a two-die block on the Fnatic. The Fnatic has a strength of seven. They do knock it out, but all of those players are now off the ball, and I think this is too heavy of an investment. This is too many players to try to take out this Fnatic, who effectively moves randomly. I think you just want to steer clear of the Fnatic. On turn 13... Play it by Nuffle would smash the hip of a Beastman. The Apothecary would get spent, but to no avail, their cage would now be in the left wide zone with almost all of their team dedicated to the cage. Tainted Cocktails had an opportunity to go too deep in front of this cage, and they took it with two columns. This is an effective way to stop that pogo leap. However, he set up the columns only one space apart instead of two. This reduced the amount of width of the pitch that he was covering. By spacing two spaces apart, he could have maximized the effectiveness of the defense with all of those tackle zones. Moreover, he doesn't set up the final third column that he could have set up. Instead, he elected to blitz an upfield goblin and mark a, a ruse goblin, really, who was sent out as a receiver, play it by Nuffle, really didn't have much of a chance of, of passing that ball to that goblin. Play it by Nuffle had no TRRs, and so that pass just really wasn't much of a threat. On turn 14, play it by Nuffle would move the cage back to center pitch at the 10-yard line. 
Tainted Cocktails would break down the defense back into an aggressive format. He would mark the front of the cage while vacating the left side of the pitch. Play it by Nuffle would walk the ball right down that side into the end zone. They would go up 2-1. to one. In the final drive of the game, Tainted Cocktails would be down two players. They'd get an extra re-roll on the kickoff event. They decided to take a block at the line first. This is risky if you wanted the score to tie up the game. He needed to save those re-rolls for actions that count. He moved one of the two receiving beastmen back to the ball, but didn't pick it up, and that would prevent the short pass to the other beastman to get the ball down pitch. He would take another block in the left wide zone, then failed to pick up with the second beastman. He had to spend the TRR there. Then two, two GFIs to a medium pass. The pass was successful, but the catch failed. Teddy Cocktails would not be able to score. The game would end 2-1 to one in play it by Nuffles' favor. This... This was an example of action order. Uh, these actions taken out of order meant that the pass was longer than it needed to be. It meant more dice had to be rolled, and that's more risk that you're taking on. Uh, but good game by both coaches. And again, play it by Nuffle would win this one 2-1. to one. Game 2 of the week would pit take the wood, take the bad against a minor matter, take the wood, take the bad. A Wood Elf team coached by Aviana 2, a minor matter, an underworld team coached by Artificial Bunny. Take the Wood, Take the Bad, one of only two remaining undefeated teams in this competition. A minor matter would pick up 230k in petty cash for this match. They picked up Glart and Nabla. Glart is a strength 4 Skaven with Claw and Block. Nabla is a Looney. Remember, underworld teams are a mix of Skaven and Goblins. On turn 1, Take the wood, take the bad, would be on offense. They made an error right out of the gate and set up in a defensive formation. It would prove to be a non-issue, but not a good start for take the wood, take the bad. They would send a war dancer and a wrestle lineman down the right wide zone to receive. The other war dancer and a lineman would cross the line of scrimmage in the left wide zone, but stay close. A minor matter would counter with a three-die blitz on the right war dancer with Glart. Gets a stun out of it. On turn two, take the wood, take the bad, would open a hole at the line and send the left war dancer contingent down center pitch. You'll see take the wood, take the bad, do this a lot. They'll send a war dancer and a lineman down either wide zone. They'll try to open up a hole and just rocket them down the pitch. They did so here. They would cage up on a minor matter's two yard line. A minor matter would answer by taking a foul with three assists on the right war dancer. They'd get a KO out of this really good play by Artificial Bunny. This take the wood, take the bad. This Wood Elf lineup is two war dancers and the rest are linemen. Just two positionals. If you can take out those war dancers, even if you can just take out one, you deal a huge blow to this roster. So really good play by Artificial Bunny here to take that foul on the war dancer and try to get him off the pitch. He would end up marking the ball carrier with the Skaven thrower and that would end turn two. On turn three, take the wood, take the bad, would do what wood elves do. They would dodge out, do a quick pass to a ward answer, dodge again and score. Take the wood, take the bad, would take the lead in turn three, one to zero. At the start of the second drive, take the wood, take the bad, would be down that KO'd ward answer. Turn three would begin with a minor matter. They'd start the drive with a KO. This would give them a two-man player advantage. They'd then get four assists on a foul with a goblin. They only got a stun out of it. Again, good play by Artificial Bunny. Take the Wood, Take the Bad would end up giving up the right wide zone. And you'll see Take the Wood, Take the Bad do this a lot. And we'll explain why later in this game. On turn four, a minor matter would move the ball to the right wide zone. 
that, that open right wide zone. They take a one assist foul. They'd end up getting called off for it. That would be a turnover. And now it's just a one man player advantage for a minor matter. On turn five, take the wood, take the bad wood, reposition the defense. They're, they, they're using a standard two deep defense for, for wood elves. They would reposition it to cut off center pitch, but they would continue to leave that right wide zone open. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to pressure a minor matter to score down that right sideline so that take the wood, take the bad, can get that ball right back and score again. A minor matter would do just that. The score would be one to one at the end of turn five. Third drive of the game would start on turn six. Take the wood, take the bad would receive with the AG5 lineman. They have an AG5 lineman with the pass skill. They'd end up caging up and sending a war dancer receiver contingent across the line of scrimmage in the left wide zone as per the usual. On turn seven, take the wood, take the bad would blitz with the left war dancer and run down to the opposing 10 yard line. A minor matter had marked the right war dancer, but that war dancer dodged and leapt over the defense ran down to the 14-yard uh, line of a minor matter. A minor matter would mark both war dancers in response. Two marks on the left war dancer, three marks on the right. That's five players that are marking these war dancers. They are dangerous, but that also means that's five players that are not between the ball carrier and the receivers. On turn eight, the left war dancer would blitz into the end zone. He'd blitz one of those marks. He would get out of the tackle zone of the other mark. He'd blitz into the end zone. A long pass was a 3+, plus, plus the pass re-roll with this AG5 pass lineman. 2+, plus the catch, not a problem for the team. Take the wood, take the bad. Would end the first half 2-1. to one. In the final turn of the half, take the wood, take the bad, would set up at the end zone. A minor matter would get a KO on the block, and that would be a good KO. It would remain out for the next half and give a minor matter a one-man player advantage. In the first drive of the second half, a minor matter would set up that loony for this drive and put him on the line, no less. On turn nine, that loony, Nabla, would indeed smash the ankle of a Wood Elf lineman. That's a minus one MA. Well done by a minor matter. This is a minor matter's turn to be on offense. And then on turn 10, they would cage up at the take the wood, take the bad two yard line. He had a third player in front to try to prevent the war dancer leap. That means he had three players on the front of that cage to try to prevent that war dancer leap. A war dancer can leap into a cage and bust that cage, especially if it has strip ball, like both of these war dancers do. However, that war dancer would instead leap to the rear of the cage because there was an undefended corner. They'd end up blitzing the ball carrier. They got the pow on the ball carrier. The ball would scatter into the hands of Nabla, the loony, no less. On turn 11, take the wood, take the bad, would leave a minor matter with no blocks to take. Nabla would take the blitz on a war dancer. He'd get a stun. This would lead to a three assist foul on that war dancer. He'd get nothing out of it. But again, a good tactic by Artificial Bunny here to try to get a war dancer off the pitch. Take the wood, take the bad, would then reset their defense. They would not go after that ball. They would leave that right wide zone open again and again shut down center pitch. They're trying to coerce a minor matter to score and to score soon. However, on turn 12, a minor matter would fail a dodge on a dodge blitz. This would be the first action of the turn. This would end up being a lost turn. This changes things for take the wood, take the bad. Now they can start to apply some pressure and maybe try to get this ball back. Take the wood, take the bad. We'll get a two-die blitz on the ball carrier with a war dancer. Strip ball would scatter that ball one square behind, but well protected by a minor matter. 
take the wood, take the bad, would leave that right wide zone open, but they would try to apply some pressure on the ball now. This, they're really trying to coerce a minor matter to score. Thanks to a minor matter's lost turn, take the wood, take the bad, can leverage that pressure with the war dancer and a lineman. There's still four turns left. This is going to really turn up the heat and force a minor matter to try to scoot down that right wide zone, and that will leave take the wood, take the bad with plenty of time to try to score and win this game. On turn 13, a minor matter would do exactly that. They'd score. The game would be tied 2-2. Two to two. Nobla, the secret weapon, would be sent off the pitch. The Wood Elves would not have to worry about that chainsaw for the rest of the game. Take the wood, take the bat. On offense, once again, they'd be down a player to start the drive, and they would once again send two contingents of receivers down either wide zone, each with a war dancer. On turn 14, a minor matter would try to throw a goblin down the pitch to mark the ball carrier. I think this was a good tactic by Artificial Bunny. He'd fail the pass, but stuck the landing, and that would keep the drive continuing. He'd then try to blitz with Glark. He'd mark the ball carrier with a remaining Skaven. On Take the Wood, Take the Bad's turn 14, they would hand the ball off to the adjacent AG5 lineman, who, of course, also has the pass skill. This He would run him down pitch to a short 2-plus pass with that re-roll, and a three-plus catch with a TRR. However, failed the catch, failed the re-roll, and the ball would scatter toward the left sideline. This is a problem for take the wood, take the bad. Because a minor matter was so aggressive on going on that ball carrier, they have players in the position. If they can pick up this ball, they can do a handoff to run down pitch. They could even toss it down pitch. On turn 15, a minor matter would blitz the war dancer. They'd get a dodge push. They would end up pushing the war dancer onto the ball, hoping for a favorable scatter, Four out of the eight adjacent spaces would have been okay, but instead the ball scattered onto the sideline. This is very, very risky. A minor matter would then try to pick that ball up with a thrower and dodge back out to pass to try to win this game. It's a risky four-plus pickup. He failed it with sure hands. The ball would scatter out of bounds and then get thrown right back into the hands of the AG5 passing lineman for take the wood, take the bad. With so many players dedicated to big plays, the center pitch was wide open. Take the wood, take the bad, would cage up at a minor matter's 10-yard line. They would send the left war dancer down pitch. The right war dancer would merge into the cage. He'd be on the back right corner of the cage. However, both would be in scoring position. The final turn of the game, a minor matter tried to throw a goblin again toward the cage, but failed the throw. Instead, he would mark the downfield war dancer. He would mark the caged war dancer. He'd try to get a two-die uphill blitz on the ball carrier. He got a push out of it. He would end up getting a second mark on that ball carrier to end his turn. Take the wood, take the bad, would block down the blitzing goblin. Then he'd dodge the downfield war dancer. He'd dodge the ball carrier out down pitch to a short pass that was a two-plus dodge to a two-plus pass with a free reroll to a two-plus uh, two catch with a team reroll, not a problem. Take the wood, take the bad, would win this game 3-2. to two. Game three of the week would pit Genus Chaos against a Reptile Dysfunction. Genus Chaos coached by War Horseman, a Chaos team. A Reptile Dysfunction coached by Nick Satan, the league champion. That's a Lizard team. 
Genus Chaos would be down in TV. They'd pick up Lord Borak, the Despoiler. Strength of five, block, dirty player, and mighty blow. Not a bad star player. Genus Chaos would start this game on offense. There'd be a five-man defensive line for a reptile dysfunction and a five-man wide offensive line for Genus Chaos. Interesting setup here on offense to start the game. On turn one, Genus Chaos would take a two-die blitz against the Crocs. He'd get the knockdown. This left the Minotaur, however, to a 50-50. Remember, Minotaurs have Wild Animal. If they're not blocking or blitzing, when they roll a die, it's a 4-plus whether they get to take their action or not. If they're blocking or blitzing, it's a 2-plus. Left the Minotaur with the 4-plus, failed the Wild Animal roll, and then the third action would be the ball pickup. He would fail the pickup and end up only taking half a turn before the turnover. This action order, this is what we talked about earlier. This is what's really important in this game. Uh, I, I think this action order didn't work out here, and a Reptile Dysfunction would be able to capitalize on this in their upcoming turn one. A Reptile Dysfunction would follow up by blocking down that entire line with their Strength 4 Sauruses. They would then foul with their Sneaky Get against the Beastman. It didn't succeed. Remember, a Sneaky Get doesn't get called off the pitch if the foul doesn't break armor, if the foul doesn't succeed. So he'll be fouling with this Sneaky Get as much as he can. On turn two, Genus Chaos would blitz this journeyman skink that made it down pitch. But I don't think that skink was a threat just yet. So uh, I have to imagine that the blitz could have been spent better elsewhere. He'd only get a dodge push on it. Then he'd take a two-die block with Lord Borak against Asaris. He'd get a KO that would give him a one-man player advantage, which is good. But he went for the ball pickup early again and failed. This time spent the TRR. A Reptile Dysfunction would then take another sneaky get foul with two assists. Didn't break armor. On turn three, Genus Chaos would finally be able to cage up on their own eight-yard line. They would blitz with the Minotaur. They would get the knockdown. But because the Minotaur is forced to follow up, the Minotaur has the frenzy skill. That means when he takes a block, he has to follow up. And because he was forced to follow up, he was put in a bad position. I think this was a bad blitz to take. A Reptile Dysfunction would capitalize on this by taking a two-die block on the Minotaur, and then get three assists for the foul. The foul didn't break armor, but this is absolutely the right call by Nick Satan. He got to take the blocks he was given, leverage that sneaky get for the fouls, uh, but he did all this without breaking down his defense. He still had a solid defensive line that Genus Chaos had to contend with. On turn four, Genus Chaos would take the blitz in the right wide zone against a skink. He'd get the pow, but this blitz did not open up a hole due to the skinks in the right wide zone being too deep. Again, I think there was a better blitz to take here. Regardless, Genus Chaos decided to commit the cage to the right wide zone without a hole to run through. This meant that it was going to be a grind to try to break through the defense. Plus, the defense would get an opportunity to double up to increase their defense because they only have to protect the front of the cage and the left of the cage. And to make matters worse, Genus Chaos now has to contend with a Saurus that is behind the cage. Genus Chaos would end the turn by trying to dodge out a Chaos Warrior marking a Saurus that had one MA. This dodge would fail, and I think the dodge was a mistake. I, I don't think you wanted to take that dodge. I think leaving that player up and having that Saurus have to take the block or the blitz is the better trade. Remember that Sars has plus one MA. Sarses are not slow to begin with. They have a, a MA of six. This one had an MA of seven. Both players have a strength of four. 
Neither had the block skill. I think just leaving that mark would have been a better call here. Instead, by failing that dodge, that fast Saris now gets to move. On a Reptile Dysfunction's turn four, they would kill that Minotaur with the Crocs on a two-die block. Reptile Dysfunction would then take a block and a Blitz to bust down the front of the cage. On turn five, with nowhere else to go but left, Genius Chaos would try a risky three-plus dodge with the ball carrier. He'd fail after the reroll. On turn six, a Reptile Dysfunction would mark the ball with the Crocs, took a foul before picking up the ball, the sneaky get unfortunately got called off the pitch. The sneaky get can get called off if the foul is successful, and that would be a turnover. A reptile dysfunction would not be able to pick up the ball this turn. On turn seven, Genus Chaos would cage up around the ball. Not sure what the plan was, but he dodged out with Lord Borak. This was a plus three dodge, a five plus pickup, and then threw it, but the throw got intercepted by Asaris. That... That is some gall. <laughs> it, was, it was really neat to watch. Three plus dodge to a, three five, uh, to a five plus pickup, and then the throw, and the throw got intercepted. Lots of die rolls there. Ooh. <laughs> a reptile dysfunction would respond by rushing that Saris down the pitch. He'd injure a Beastman on the block. He would end up scoring on turn eight. A reptile dysfunction would take the lead one to zero at the half. Genus Chaos would start the second half on defense. They'd have a one-man de deficit, and despite that, they'd have a super aggressive seven-man line. The weather would then change to pouring rain. On turn nine, Reptile Dysfunction would be able to take four blocks at the line. There would have been more had the Crocs not failed the boneheaded roll. He would get a KO in the right wide zone. He'd fail to pick up the ball in the rain, but that's no problem. Genus Chaos would respond by sending three Beastmen down the pitch, also dodge the Chaos Warrior down the pitch, risky dodge, and also a risky strategy. He could find himself effectively down four players if a Reptile Dysfunction can get past this contingent. On turn 10, a Reptile Dysfunction would take their blocks, they'd pick up the ball, and they'd retreat to the two-yard line to avoid the blitz from this aggressive Genus Chaos contingent. Genus Chaos would then mark the ball carrier with two GFIs, They'd KO Asaris in the left wide zone as well. So a good turn for Genus Chaos. On turn 11, a Reptile Dysfunction would set up Cage in the right wide zone that was free and clear. Genus Chaos was in danger of having five players left behind. Genus Chaos would respond by descending every single one of those players onto the left side of the cage. On turn 12, a Reptile Dysfunction would respond by marking downfield Genus Chaos players and then run the ball carrier all by his lonesome to the Genus Chaos 6 yard line. He's undefended. It's a skink. Genus Chaos would then do a 3-plus dodge to a 2-die blitz on the ball carrier. Needed to get the pow here and got it. The skink was stunned. Unfortunately, Genus Chaos pushed the skink to the sideline rather than pushing the kink skink straight back in, in the column that he was on. This meant the ball had an opportunity to scatter out of bounds. It did. The ball got thrown back in all the way to the left wide zone on the same yard line. There's not a single genus chaos player around. A reptile dysfunction would pick up the ball and score on six, uh, turn 16. They'd win this game 2-0. to zero. The final game of this week would be the top table game. Pity the Ghoul versus Tracksuit Mafia. Pity the Ghoul coached by Dead Fred, a Necro team. Tracksuit Mafia coached by Merrick, currently undefeated. 
This game would be a blizzard game. In a blizzard, GFIs fail not on a one, but on a one or a two. That increases their risk from a one-sixth chance of failing to a one-third chance of failing. Not only that, but long and bomb passes are disallowed. Tracksuit Mafia would start the game on defense. Tracksuit Mafia would set up with a six-man defensive line. Pity the Ghoul would set up with seven players on the line of scrimmage spread wide. On turn one, Tracksuit Mafia would lose a team reroll, taking a blitz on the werewolf in the left wide zone. He could have pushed this werewolf onto the sideline and set up for the surf, but he wanted the pal because he didn't want to have to take that follow-up. He only got a push on the reroll. But it wouldn't matter much because on turn two, Pity the Ghoul would open with a dodge by said werewolf, would fail the dodge, then had to spend their own TRR. They'd end up getting a two-die blitz, but on that blitz, double skulls, and Pity the Ghoul would end up with a lost turn, and to make matters worse, the werewolf would get stunned. Tracksuit Mafia would respond by marking the ball with the Beastman, they'd get a KO with the Minotaur, they'd get three stuns, and they'd separate the potential Pity the Ghoul ball carrier from the rest of the team. Excellent turn two here by Merrick and Tracksuit Mafia. He knew exactly what he needed to do, he knew exactly how to play this Chaos team. He took his blocks. He broke up the Necro team. Really well done. This Necro team is defined by its positionals. Merrick recognized this and said, no, not today. You're not getting their advantages. I'm breaking your team up. On turn three, Pity the Ghoul would try a 50-50 pickup with sure hands. It didn't work out. And again, a lost turn. Tracksuit Mafia would then be able to secure the ball. They'd fail the pickup in the snow. The ball would scatter into the hands of the Minotaur. <laughs> Remember that Minotaur has wild animals. He has to roll a d6 before he takes his action. On turn four, Pity the Ghoul would recognize the situation. Dead Fred would recognize the situation and run away his team. I think this was a fairly good call. He said, nope, all right, you're gonna score, that's fine. The only problem with this is this allows Tracksuit Mafia to stall for the rest of the half. On turn six, Pity the Ghoul would recognize this and he'd start to turn back toward the ball carrier. Tracksuit Mafia would get spooked, they would score, they would take the lead one to zero. On the second drive of this game, Tracksuit Mafia has a kicker, but Pity the Ghoul did not put back two players to receive, so Pity the Ghoul would consequently have to spend half a turn retrieving the ball due to that kicker. On turn seven, Pity the Ghoul would send a werewolf down pitch, but because of the lost movement, tried a short pass with the other werewolf in the right wide zone, it was a 50-50 pass, failed after the TRR, the ball would scatter out of bounds, and Tracksuit Mafia would block down the downfield werewolf. On turn eight, Pity the Ghoul decided to give up on the scoring attempt. They took the blocks with the werewolf at the line instead, didn't get anything out of it. The half would end with Tracksuit Mafia in the lead, one to zero. In the second half of the game, Tracksuit Mafia would be on offense. On turn nine, they'd cage up on their own eight yard line, five in the cage, six on the line. Very aggressive offensive stance here. Pity the Ghoul, would set up with a narrow defense, giving up either wide zone. Uh, Tracksuit Mafia would then shift their defensive line, would shift the Pity the Ghoul's defensive line to the right, taking a little bit of a, a page out of Clyphus's playbook. Pity the Ghoul would respond by rushing the flesh golems around the corners of the line. The werewolf would take a blitz, but then fail a dodge after the TRR. On turn 10, Tracksuit Mafia would do what Chaos does. They would take the blocks that they were given, they would advance the cage to their own four-yard line. 
Pity the Ghoul would be able to capitalize on his pressure and apply immense pressure on the cage. He'd obliterate the cage with three corners busted and five marks. Excellent turn here by Dead Fred. He's really coming into his own with this Necro team. He understands its strengths and weaknesses, and he understood that this aggression could work out in his favor and that he could put Tracksuit Mafia on the back foot. On turn 11, Tracksuit Mafia was just that. They were put in a position where they'd need to take a block with the Minotaur. We talked earlier in the podcast, in this episode, about how this is a game of luck mitigation and how you want to take your least risky actions first and your most risky actions last. Well, good coaches recognize this and they will try to put their opponents in situations where they have to take those actions out of order, where they have to take a risky action first. Suit Mafia found themselves in that situation. They had to take a block with the Minotaur, ended up failing that wild animal roll. They had to spend the TRR to keep the drive alive. Remember that the Minotaur is also a loner. So if they want to use that team reroll, they have to roll a D6. On a four plus, they can use the reroll. They passed the loner roll, and then they got the knockdown that they so desperately needed with that two die block. They would knock down the Flesh Golem on the front right corner of the cage, but now without a reroll left, they needed to move the ball. They took a block at the line first. They got double skulls. They were not able to move the ball. It would be a turnover due to that block attempt. Pity the Ghoul would respond by trying to dodge out a werewolf to pick up the ball. They failed the dodge. It was a three plus, failed it on the reroll, and the werewolf would be KO'd. He could have set up a one-die blitz on the marking Chaos Warrior, but elected not to. Instead, electing to take the dodge. I think that was a mistake, and it cost him. On turn 12, Tracksuit Mafia would take a two-die block against the white. He'd block him onto the ball to try to get the ball to scatter out of the Pity the Ghoul contingent. The ball would scatter into the hands of the remaining werewolf, but the werewolf would fail to pick it up on the four-plus catch. And Tracksuit Mafia succeeded in getting the ball to scatter out of that scrum. Tracksuit Mafia would then recover the ball after blitzing the remaining werewolf. Well done by Tracksuit Mafia. But man, what a risk. <laughs> Pity the Ghoul would react by taking a two-die blitz on the ball carrier. They'd only get a push. Tracksuit Mafia's ball carrier would end up being marked by four Pity the Ghoul players. This would not be a boxing match. This game would end up being a chess match. On turn 13, Pity the Ghoul would have lots of players back on the ball. They'd get a two-die block on the ball carrier. They'd get the knockdown. The ball would scatter into a precarious position. He would dodge blitz with the werewolf. He'd get a two-die push. He'd then push again on the frenzy follow-up and then dodge the werewolf out to successfully pick up the ball. On turn 14, Tracksuit Mafia would take a two-die block on the werewolf. They'd get the knockdown. The ball would scatter to the right sideline. It's anybody's ball at this point. And both coaches are interleaving their players to try to play offense, play defense, and set up advantageous block chains all at the same time. This was such a fun chess match to watch by two excellent coaches. Pity the Ghoul would recover the ball. They'd run down to the Tracksuit Mafia 12-yard line but they would end their movement based by a journeyman beastman. They'd bring in a ghoul to assist, but on turn uh, 15, a two-die blitz against the ghoul would result in a push. Tracksuit Mafia would then take a one-die loner block with that journeyman against the ball carrier. The ball carrier 
had the block skill as well, and yet somehow the block worked out. This setup by Dead Fred and Pity the Ghoul was so clever. I didn't even catch it on stream. And he really forced Tracksuit Mafia to put his fate in the hands of Nuffle. It worked out for Tracksuit Mafia, but this was such a clever play by Pity the Ghoul. On turn 16, Tracksuit Mafia would chain push to try to get the ball to scatter out of bounds in order to have it thrown back in nowhere where Pity the Ghoul could get it. And the plan paid off. Pity the Ghoul would thank Tracksuit Mafia by injuring the Minotaur with a serious concussion, reducing its armor value down to seven. But Tracksuit Mafia would win this one one to zero. What a second half it was. And that would end week three. Eight teams still viable, still very much in this competition. Two weeks of Swiss remain. After week five, the top four teams will advance to the, the they'll make the cut, they'll advance to the semifinals. The winner will make the Blood Bowl in the upper bracket. The runner-up will make the Blood Bowl in the lower bracket. An exciting competition it's still anybody's competition. Everyone's been playing very, very well. Uh, I'm excited to see how these next two weeks are going to shape up. That'll do it for this episode. You can watch the Mid-Atlantic Mauling League on Twitch at twitch.tv slash aviunit02. That's E-V-A-U-N-I-T, the letter O, the number two. And watch archive games on YouTube at Blood Bowl M-A-M-L. You can also follow us on Twitter at Blood Bowl underscore Mammal or on Facebook at Blood Bowl Mammal. Play Blood Bowl. You can play Blood Bowl online via Blood Bowl 2 or in tabletop form via your friendly local game store. Be kind to each other. Forgive everyone, praise Nuffle, and may he bless your dice.